This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Chloe Hooper, welcome to Better Reading wonderful to be with you thank you so a lot of you uh, listeners out there know that I have a crush on Chloe I talk about her quite a lot at better reading I do Chloe you probably don't know that I'm I'm like I'm so (laughs) flattered and excited I where can we take this Cheryl well I'm going to start with this so Dan Rufino is a good friend of mine he is the managing director of Simon Sister anyway he was over for dinner A few months back, before I went, I did a long stint in San Francisco recently for three months. So it must have been in November, December. He came around and he said, hey, I've got your present. This is the new Chloe Hooper. It's a proof. Read it. And I was like crazy excited. But in the madness of trying to pack up and go, I didn't read it before I left. So I took it with me to San Francisco and for some reason, I didn't read it when I was in San Francisco. I just, I was really so funny. There are just like books, you know, you, you pick them off the shelf at the right time and, and you, mm-hmm. you know, you, it's so strange when they find you, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so then when I was coming back, I picked it up again, the proof, and I hadn't read it and I had to come back quickly because my mother wasn't well. So I had a couple of days to pack up and come home. And I didn't read it on the plane, even though I had it in my handbag. Anyway, when we got the call that mum's last rites were going to be read, I thought, okay, this is going to be a long few days at the nursing home. For some reason, I picked it up and I took it with me. And that was on the Sunday and mum died on the Saturday, the following Saturday, and it was my solace. Oh, Cheryl, that's makes me um, feel it was worthwhile writing it. Thank you so much. Mm. So you're even extra special than what you were. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me introduce you. Chloe is the Melbourne-based author of award-winning books, including The Arsonist and The Tall Man, which won the Victorian New South Wales, West Australian and Queensland Premier Literary Awards, as well as an Ed Kelly Award for Crime Writing. She's also the author of two acclaimed novels, A Child's Book of True Crime and The Engagement. So today we're talking about her recent book. It is a memoir and and a letter, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, bedtime story. Written for you and, and to my sons. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's an enchanting and beautifully illustrated um, story about how Chloe delved into stories and literature to help tell her young sons of her partner's diagnosis of illness. It is you know, Dan reckons that I would read anything you wrote. And, you know, even if you just wrote words about nothing, I would love them. There's a truth in that. There is definitely a truth in that. However, you don't do that. It's not just the story. I'm kind of addicted to your style of writing. Well, I think, you know, 
obviously this book we we found out in our family in in 2018 that my my partner Don Watson um had a rare blood cancer and the prognosis wasn't good and you know being two writers there's a sort of you start to think when there's a uh, um a fatal illness sort of is is um in you know in your sight about inheritance and i guess I felt well we're rich in stories if if nothing else and so I really turned to the bookshelf to to try and find something to tell the kids but I guess the pleasure for me and maybe some of the solace that you found when you were reading the book was also the world of children's literature I mean they're not really just written for children these stories and they are full of enchantment and and riches and and the sort of glimmer of miracles and i think that um as adults reading about these books there's also a kind of uh where they're wired into us a little bit these tales and so we go somewhere where we feel kind of held mm. i don't know if that answered your question cheryl I, I, but I, I think <laughs> so i think so um i okay i want to firstly start with I didn't know what to expect because I didn't know what it was about. And I think when I wrote, I must, I think I wrote you an email. Did I write you an email from the nursing home? You, you sent me a lovely, lovely yeah. note because we're, we're Instagram friends, which, yes. you know, they're the best, the best friends basically. Yeah. But do you know, at that point, I couldn't even remember what the book was called because I was in a world of other pain and I was just reading and getting lost in it. But when I looked at it yesterday in view of speaking to you today, there was another penny drop moment for me. It's like, oh, okay, okay, now I know what's called bedtime story. I don't know if I registered that while I was reading it. But it is what you've done in writing a memoir or a letter to your son is you have interwoven the magic of storytelling. Well, it's, um, I, I guess it makes you realise that for um, millennia, you know, there's been an adult mm-hmm. and a child together in the dark and at night is where when we tell stories and and in we tell bedtime stories to um, entertain and to instruct and to console and to control mm-hmm. but um, it's uh, very rich pickings once you start looking at um, the tales that we we tell children or that we were told as children. Mm. Firstly, I want to I want to ask you. So, when you got Don's diagnosis, were you thinking about writing about it then? What, at what point did you think I need to write about this experience? Well, I suppose that um, you know, writers often I think can take a notebook into a difficult situation, Cheryl, and it makes it a tiny bit easier. And I guess that I've gone on various assignments with my notebook and, you know, uh, um, scribbled little little notes were of anything that sort of strikes me as sort of, um, you know, interesting. And I know I certainly didn't sort of immediately think of, of writing about this situation, but, but quite quickly, I mean, I guess the way that people keep a diary, you know, by sort of externalising what's happening, you, you have a sense that you can control it in your own head. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I was starting to sort of, you know, make notes about what was happening to us. And, and, and then, you know, then I thought, actually, look, there is a book in this because other, other people are going through it. Other people are looking for ways to talk to their kids about life and, and, and death and to do so in ways that don't kind of um, 
uh, haunt them. And and I thought, oh, look, there's a short book here. But the the more I I dived in, it it it, it expanded. And and you know now, as you see, um, the amazing Anna Walker, who a lot of your mm-hmm. listeners will love for her books. You know, I was so, gosh, so. Uh, fortunate that she agreed to sort of even illustrate this in in places. I thought it was a marriage made in heaven. Actually. Oh, it's like it was the, so dreamy, and and the book's designed by Alison Colpoy, who is also you know an amazing star illustrator um, in her own right. So it was I was working with the dream team. You know, I I because I've I'm very familiar with Anna's work, um, and I've all, I don't know her, but I've admired her just through her work, and I wondered. So when you chose Anna as the illustrator, you were choosing a children's book illustrator. Purposely. I was, I was. Yeah. And, <laughs> but I, you know, it's funny, Cheryl, I rang Anna and I mean, Anna would get asked to do things all the time. And, uh, you know, I was kind of like, hear me out. <laughs> uh, and I said to her, one of the things that I love in your illustrations is actually often in a, on a page, there'll be a window, you know, and the, and the main characters are there, but in the background, there's a window and, and she will do a a picture of sky, you know, or a tree that is just so beautiful. And I said to her, I love the way that you do weather. And I didn't know that for her, that would be like sort of saying Rumpelstiltskin's name. Um, she, (laughs) she was just like that. She said, that's like my fantasy is to do a book, which is only of weather. And we kind of both got what we wanted. <laughs> so it's just beautiful. And the nuance of that, I, I really, really enjoyed. Often I was reading it in a dark room, but, you know, I would go to the window and, and have a look at the illustrations and they were, they were beautiful. There were moments in that book where I laughed out loud, and you're probably not going to like this, but one of them was where Don had usually done the cooking in the evening. Um, oh, yes. And, the, and now you were, and you said something like, You don't learn these things overnight. I love that so much. Oh, I was laughing. Oh, I know. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it's, but that it's, I'm glad. I'm glad you were because you don't want it to be only just a depressing, uh, Book and I mean the I have or probably you know rightly or wrongly already got quite a, I have a dark sense of humour and I think that you sometimes just have to laugh because otherwise you'd cry. Oh, exactly. But yeah, exactly. no, I'm still absolutely. I mean, so Cheryl in our house, he is the cook, and I, yeah. I mean you're thinking all sorts of things, and some of the thoughts are very uh, high-minded, and others are just completely selfish. And I thought. You can't die because I will have to learn how to cook and I cannot, like, I can barely boil an egg. Yeah, we can't navigate that, I'm telling you. And our children are used I'm to not, it. I'm not, I'm not proud of that. Yeah, yeah. Thoughts, but, I, lo- you know, I like the that. truth. Yeah, it is the truth. So let's go back a little bit. So let's go back to the diagnosis and, yes. you know, you, oh, God, the image of the uh, the doctor that told you about it, the, the pregnant doctor, I think it was, and the fact that she doesn't read Australian writers. <laughs> I loved how you threw that in. <laughs> I really like how you threw that in. Um, I was instantly Thanks, Cheryl. <laughs> no, no, a brilliant, a brilliant doctor, a brilliant, brilliant doctor. I And Don is still thinks I was too harsh. But you know how some doctors are. They're They're kind of amazed that you can actually, you know, speak in full sentences sometimes, you know, if you don't have a medical degree yourself. 
Mm. No, I agree. And I think that so many of them talk down to you. But anyway, tell me about that and the shock of that, because it's one thing hearing it about yourself, but it's another thing hearing it about your partner. And I want to explore that a little bit. I want to know, you know, did Don know you were writing about it and how he felt about you writing about him? But yeah, tell me from that starting point. Oh, um, I think that, you know, I think anyone who's um, supported someone throughout um, a a cancer journey, you need need the support person to be there because, I I mean, I think Don often was almost disassociating in those appointments. Like it's just very hard to wrap your head around your own extinction. I mean, actually our brains are designed to not be able to focus on this horrible fact. I mean, we, we like to think of this as being a, something that happens to other people and but it was you know it's uh, as the supporter I mean it's sort of a strange a strange thing because it's it's not about you I mean it's 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 your partner's um you know it's your partner's life and it's you know it's his sort of struggle and grief is paramount but at the same time I suppose often you you are you do have to try to hold together the family and um, and find ways to talk to the kids um, about you know about this and and for different children of different ages you know there's information that's appropriate. Don did know that I was writing about this and um, you know Cheryl to be perfectly honest there's it's it's expensive when somebody gets cancer too so um, you know I, I suppose I was thinking I have to keep working mm-hmm. and he you know I think there was a moment I, I feel like it was like a high noon moment where we um you know I picked up the pen faster than he did and I he he said he felt actually slightly relieved that I would be um doing it rather than him and I think that he's very proud of of um of me and this book um while also feeling a sort of a slight sense of it of um of embarrassment because you know he feels conscious that there are you know he had this extraordinary escape and the prognosis was very poor but he is in remission mm-hmm. and um there are there are people who are you know much sicker than than he was but you know i i was living with him so i've told the story about our family and um but it is one that I hope other people can, can get something from. Mm. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
You didn't talk much about you and your grief, other than not coping with, you know, putting dinner on every night. <laughs> you really kind of stepped back from that, I thought, in your letter to your son, that it was about the children and, and how you were, how they were going to cope with, with this news. And it was about Don, but I didn't, like, there wasn't much of your feeling about, because the partner and the supporter is equally as riddled with grief, right? Well, I think that... Um one of the ways to find a sort of comfortable distance for it was to sort of focus, I suppose, on what this meant for children. Because I think as, as heartbroken as I was in that period where um, things looked very bleak, I guess I couldn't help often thinking of what this meant for our children's future. Mm. Um, yes. Mm. And my, future, maybe my own grief felt a yeah. sort of slightly, um, you know, less less pressing at that at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I am um, uh, after I lost my mother. You know, it was it was a tough week, and I just fell into this like bottomless pit. But when I reflect about that now, and I think you might feel this as well, is that half of it. I would say, was sheer exhaustion. That's so interesting, yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're, I think, you know, in those situations you're sort of working on adrenaline and you, you mm. almost don't know how, um, how much you're holding together. Mm. And you would have been the same. I mean, you're trying to hold together the family. You're dropping off and picking up to hosp- hospital. Uh, you know, chemo is, is brutal, um, yes, and, and you're trying to keep working, you know. So it's, um, you know, it's it's very demanding and uh, demanding time. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Were you at all worried what Don would think of the final book? Were you worried about that? I um, decided to, I mean, this is, you know, often a question when you're writing about people, you know, what, what are they going to think? And, I, and in the end I... Um, you have to write what you're, what's, what feels true and right and do the best you can and, and then see how, how they react. And um, I'm, I'm grateful that he um, kind of, you know, let me have artistic licence so we didn't have a lot of conversations about um, changing anything. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful to him for that because it is, it is intimate. Uh, and as as it should be, if it's you know as it's directed to our our children. Mm-hmm. And obviously, your children haven't read the book yet. But you feel when do you think would be the right time for them to read it? It's funny, Cheryl. Um, our oldest son, Tobias. You know, for years he's been saying, "When are you going to write a book for me?" And I've I've said to him, "Well, look, this is this book is you know this is for you." you know, and it's, it's, it's in second person. So it, it's, a, you know, I think it starts that the opening line is, uh, you know, you're about him lying in the dark and, and he looked at the page, the proof pages at some point and, and flicked through them and said, you know, I can't see, uh, I can't see my name anywhere. And uh, <laughs> I don't think you say his name, you say his brother's name, but you don't say his name. Gabriel, I don't say yeah. his name. So I, I did say to him, don't worry, you're, you're in there. And, you, you know, hopefully you won't have to see a, a psychiatrist about it in sort of 20, 20 30 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, 
I, I'm not sure. I think that will be their choice when they when they pick this up. But I, I hope that it's a document that um, will explain uh, to them a kind of a pivot point in our family's life and um, make sense of certain things. Mm. I mean, in a way, it's a kind of prayer for them as well. And uh, it'll be there on the shelf if they if they want it or not. When you got the news of uh, Don being cancer-free, how did you think that, I mean, you didn't talk about, because the book wasn't about that, but then you're now talking to the kids about that. Tell me about that moment when you came home and shared that with them because that must be much, much easier to communicate, right? Oh, of course. And, I mean, throughout, I guess, what made this year, 2008, more complicated was that um, that Tobias, our older boy's um, best friend's father, was diagnosed mm. a few weeks before Don was, mm. and you wrote in, about in that March, and 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 um, this father died in in November. So I think that Tobias, um, who was who was who was then seven when, um, did think that you know his father was going to die as well and um telling the kids that their dad was you know was cancer free was obviously I mean a feeling of being able to breathe again but you you know once I guess once you've sort of um once the monsters come pretty close to the house Cheryl you're you're conscious that um you know there's a there's a different uh, there is a plot change that we or a um that we avoided, but that that also comes for everybody at, at some point. And uh, now we we try. I try really hard to to talk about. Um, I think what I've learned is that is by talking to kids about about death. And actually, kids are natural philosophers. They they like being included in a um, this sort of big philosophical mystery and being able to think about it. But but by talking to them about about our mortality, maybe we also have a better chance to to realize how precious life is and to to think about how we can lead our best lives. Mm-hmm. So you know that's that's definitely still you know an important conversation in our house. Mm. Oh, my next question was going to be: Is your life now as a family different to what it was? Has it changed fundamentally? Look, I mean, it's it's strange, also, um, Cheryl, to talk about this. You know, I, I it's when I when I first started to look at the history of children's literature, I asked myself, well, what did people, you know, what were the bedtime stories in the in the age of of ages of of war and plague? And as a you know, two thousand and eighteen was this innocent age before COVID and the threat of nuclear war, so. You know, now I think all of our families have kind of changed, um, you know, in the last couple of years. And uh, I think existential questions are, are, are really, you know, at the forefront of lots of kids and, and parents and adults' minds. You know, I don't even mean to sort of say parent because, I mean, we all have kids in our lives whether or not we're uh, biological parents or not, or hopefully we do. You know, yes, our, our life has changed, but it's changed also due to, um, you know, having a kind of vigilance around COVID when someone in the house has got immunity 
issues and um, just because, you know, the world feels like it's changed too in the last couple of years. Mm, it has. It has. And I, I, I believe storytelling has become crucial and and readers are telling me that, you know, I mean, in terms of better reading, we are interacting more with readers than we ever have. And I yes. think because people have taken solace in reading, say, a book like yours, like Bedtime Story or just, you know, commercial fiction or whatever it is, people yes, have turned to right. story. They really have. Yes. I've got yes. to tell you, I really <laughs> enjoyed some of um, Don's story, uh, bedtime stories. It's like, wow, because um, I've got great nieces and nephews and I tell stories like, you know, George and the Mortadella, but his were a little bit more intricate. <laughs> that's right. I, that, yeah, I, uh, I, need to, I need to encourage him to, to write them all down and, um, you know, maybe he can come on on this podcast and uh you know <laughs> with a new a new book of children's fairy stories yeah maybe could do you find but, you- but don't worry cheryl i don't i don't have any stories by the end of the <laughs> night all i can do is open you know i'm not going to say a bottle of wine open a open a book and 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 really be uh you know regaled by the beauty of the images and and someone else's storytelling so this isn't uh you're you're doing better than me if you've got sort of a story about George and the Mortadella <laughs> I do it's a favorite too I might add <laughs> sounds very intriguing yeah. maybe you maybe you too you should make a book as well <laughs> maybe um okay but so- you know that's interesting too because kids love stories about food they don't do they? They, and you know and I mean dogs. and, and and yeah, and <laughs> and dogs. that's right. That's the best-selling combination. But and I also, think- <laughs> also, it's based on a true story, so I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Just the magical food in in yeah. storytelling from you know Enid Blyton, the famous five, which is kind of verboten these days. But you know the the all of the detail about the picnics that they would have, through to kind of the Hogwarts banquets where food magically comes on plates, and the very hungry caterpillar. Uh, you know, you realise how how important food is to to all of us, but particularly to children. Mm. Do you know that thread that you were pulling through the book about the the like you know the Green Brothers, um, you know um, E. B. White, um, and that something in that writer's life had had there was a, a death or a separation or a loss of parents or something. You know, these great stories came out of that. I see that a lot in writing now. Mm. Like there is a lot of writers that I speak with mm-hmm. who have come to writing because of some sort of adversity. And they're not necessarily writing nonfiction, they're writing fiction. Mm. Well, I think that, um, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, you, you can take your notebook into a, a difficult situation and then feel as though you're um, able to sort of better manage manage it in your own head um, by by putting by putting an experience into words and um, you know as I write in the in the book one of the um, spells to uh, stop a monster is to you know is to to know to name it correctly and so I think if you can kind of correctly uh, describe the monster you know it's a it's a way of freezing them momentarily and uh, and having some feeling of control. But, you know, obviously uh, the other thing is kids don't 
don't yet have, know that magic spell. They don't often know the perfect word to describe a situation. So I guess that's why books for them are so important. Mm, and story so important. I remember when my dog died and I, because I've got great nephews and nieces and I was, and I, it's, you know, on a Monday I have um, both of them. Lucas's way of coping, he would say to me, George has gone to China. He would tell me. If it makes you feel better. That's right. He was telling me the story of George on the plane, George eating dumplings, George, you know, and he won't be coming back because China's a long, long way away. That's so fantastic. It's great, isn't it? It's that, it was his coping mechanism, Uh, right? Isn't that interesting? And yes, and also, and that, yes, they really are. And I mean, children's books make you realise how important imagination is. Imagination is a serious business Mm -hmm. and... Um, I hope your nephew keeps on going uh, with being able to, to create stories like this because that's, you know, it's through imagination that we can kind of change the world by having sort of a different vision of how it might be. Mm. And that's what you're um, doing. Chloe Hooper, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful. Thanks, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.